Hello, welcome back to Enjoy the Book of Life. We're here once again with John Diorley. Uh, we've enjoyed two episodes with him already, and today we're going to be looking at Grow and Shine. This is a truth in the Word of God that uh, he's been able to apply in his own life and see some fruit from it. And so uh, this is all, always very exciting. So uh, let's turn this over to you, Mr. Biorley. What is this truth, this truth from the Word of God that you've been able to uh, see in your own life? Yeah, in, in Scripture, it, uh, early on in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about the institution of marriage. And for me, I, as, a, as a new believer, that idea that there could be someone who would love me and trust me and who would commit to me and that I could be able to commit to and be faithful to. Uh, this was to me a dream. This was, this was something which I, I would wish for, but it's hard for me to believe that it could ever be possible. And, and uh, uh, I knew a lot of married people. I'd, I don't know if all the marriages that I was aware of uh, growing up were great marriages. Some of them were, they were admirable in some ways, but, but I, I, for some reason, grew up with these great doubts, maybe because I knew my own weaknesses, my own sins, my own problems, my own confusion. And, and as a, a new believer, you immediately heard the story about how uh, God made man, and from the man, Adam, he made the woman. He took the, the woman from a rib from his side. And as uh, Matthew Henry says it. I don't think Matthew Henry is the first one to say it, but but he does say it in his commentary that he took the woman from his side, not from his head, so that she would rule over him, nor from his foot, so that he would trample over her. But he took her from his side, that she would be protected by him under his arm and be near to him as an equal and close to his heart. So I, uh, I, I think that's exactly what the scripture means uh, when it, it speaks about the idea of God giving Adam that, uh, uh, that woman in that way. And how he says, this is no bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And the, the delightful thing is, we believe this is the first poem of scripture. And uh, in here, Adam is singing a song as he sees that woman. And it uh, is followed up, of course, by the celebration in Ephesians chapter 1, where the bride, the church, is to Christ the fullness of him who fills all in all. Yeah. So Adam was incomplete. Adam was a single guy. He had all these, he had everything going for him. He had a paradise around him. 
where he was living there in the Garden of Eden and could enjoy all the fruit, all the beauty, all the gorgeousness of all those things which he enjoyed and doing it in innocence. So there were there weren't thorns on the ground and all the unpleasant trees that we know in the natural world today. This was a pre-fall experience. And yet he was a lonely man. You can enjoy animals, you can ride a horse, or you can have a dog and do things with different animals and, and they can be delightful in their own way. But there, there's a limit, isn't there? And even those who enjoy animals to the, to the hilt as much as can be enjoyed, and yet there's still a longing for that human interaction where you can speak the same language, understand, though we're different, and we understand that, and certainly no greater difference than a man from a woman, and yet to be able to come to an agreement, come to understand, come to communicate, come to love one another, and to appreciate one another, trust one another. So uh, God told Adam to go out and name everything that he had named. And this, of course, agrees with the idea that he stated in Genesis chapter one, that God made man to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every creeping thing that moves on the face of the earth. So that and it uses that, I think, in Genesis one verses 26 through 28, about three times, have dominion, have dominion, uh, to subdue, to have dominion. So God made man to have dominion, and one sign of it was that it was to Adam that he would give a name to all the creatures. Well, the one who gives the name is the one who has the right of ownership, that he's the one in charge. I'm telling you, this is what your name is. This is your position. This is your rank, in a way, in the created order, and I'm telling you who you are. God gave that to, to Adam because he was telling Adam, I want you to have dominion over all these creatures. But then you have this new and unique relationship of the woman to the man in which it's not a case of, of him simply having dominion, but somebody who is introduced into his life as an equal because she's taken from him. She's taken from his side. And they, although there's an order in the relationship, and, and we, we point out how that uh, the Bible does speak about headship in the family, uh, although we say, well, if man is the head of the home, then the woman, she is the crown on the head. <laughs> so, or I think Spurgeon said it, if, if the man is the head, then the woman is the neck that turns the head. <laughs> so either way, but, but there's the thought while we're different, yet there is equality. And so we, uh, we have equality, men and women, in the image of God made he them male and female. That's Genesis 1. And then it's reintroduced in Genesis chapter 2, when it talks about the actual forming of the woman. Okay, that, that is this, this theme about God giving Adam the special place and special role and a place of dominion. And yet, with all of his wonderful responsibilities and all the joys of the new creation, he was still a lonely man. And then God 
brought to him a companion who was suitable for him and would actually meet together. The two fit. It was a good fit. And when I, when I read that, well, of course, the Dutch, they have a saying, I'm not Dutch, but I, I live amongst a lot of Dutch people, they have a saying, there's not a kettle so crooked, but you can find a lid to fit it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they mean by that, that you can be, maybe an oddball, but it's possible you can find a mate in yeah. life. And, 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 and I like that. I, I think it's true that, that, that God often will provide, not everyone, a lot of people shouldn't, don't need to get married, shouldn't get married. It's just not something that God is, is demanding of them. But most people do get married, actually. A lot of people get married. And uh, uh, it's not something that, that we need to get frantic about. We, if you're a single person, or, or you've been widowed, or you're somehow uh, unattached, then it's something to pray about, isn't it? Something for you to say, Lord, what do you have for me? What, what do you want? God put Adam to sleep, and from, in that sleep, he opened up his side. He made him a vulnerable person. He wounded him, but from that wound, he provided something precious. He provided a bride. And, and so for us, when we have a relationship with the other person, there's a sense of vulnerability in that relationship where you're opening yourself up. And sometimes it, you would think in a very painful way. I don't think it was painful for Adam the way it's described, but it often is for us when we have that real loving, true relationship with someone else. When I was a young person, I started to think about going out and doing missionary work. And, and uh, we met a certain uh, older missionary. He was home from his work. He had labored in, in China and then lab, lab, later went to India. And I was talking to him about going out and he, as a missionary, and he said, oh, you're not ready. Well, he, he probably knew how green I was. And I, I said, well, what, what, why? What, what's, what's the problem? He says, well, for, for one thing, um, uh, you, you're not married. You, you go out, you need, to get, you need to be a married man. They, a single man out in the field, they, the, the tribal people or most places you go, they don't understand a man who's not married. You've you got to be married. That was what he said. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I didn't, I never heard this before. It was just, of course, his opinion, and that yeah. was his experience. But the, actually, in fact, he had gone out as a single man and, <laughs> and then married later. But he gave me a verse to prove his point, and that was out of the book of Proverbs, where it says, prepare your work outside and make it fit for yourself, and afterward you shall build your house. And the verse he made an application from the verse that when you build, when you uh, work out in the field, that is getting established in a vocation and making an income so that you have some money in hand. And then later on, after you get established in the work, then you can 
think about a family. Then you can build a house and have a family. And so, uh, so you, you, uh, you need to find out what you're about. And you need to, to determine what am I really doing in life? Like, do I have a trade? And, and this missionary told me that as a young man, he worked in the uh, shipyards uh, over in, in Britain and, and worked as a tradesman. And he worked with his hands. And he was self-supporting as a young person. He learned how to work. And, and every young man should learn a trade and learn how to work and figure out what they're doing. And I later on, interestingly, I, I took that to heart and I said, yeah, I really don't, not quite sure what I should do. I went, I spent a couple of years at university, but I, I wasn't quite satisfied that, that the track, the career track that was being encouraged was what I wanted to do. And I ended up coming to Grand Rapids in 1975, getting involved with Gospel Folio Press, doing illustrating, and that moved gradually, basically, with your dad's encouragement, with Jabe's encouragement to help out with a little bit of editorial and then a little bit of writing. And so I started working with the Gospel Folio Press, and I realized, oh, they're giving me a little stipend every month or every week, and they're paying me a little bit. I have a job, and it's something that I think God wants me to do. It was something which God was laying before me as an opportunity, and this is a calling from the Lord. And in actual fact, I continued to work with them for about 25 years. So, so it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't an illusion. It wasn't a delusion. It was really something which opened up all kinds of possibilities for me. And I really thank the Lord that I ever did it. I thank the Lord that I left North Dakota when I did. I had great times, great friends, all that. But, but it was of God that I came to Grand Rapids, met the people I did, and got involved with that work. I was basically preparing, doing the work out in the field. Get out in the field. And get established in your in your trade, in your life's vocation. Figure it out and do it. And then, as you do so, what's going to happen? And and at that time, we would we were encouraged to read uh, the the story written by Elizabeth Elliot about Jim Elliot. Um, Through gates of splendor was one, and the other was a shadow of the Almighty. And in the shadow of the Almighty. It talks about uh, the courtship of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot when they were singles. And, and Jim would talk about the idea that, that young men shouldn't be out there beating the bushes, feverishly hunting for a girl. They should rest in God. Just like Adam, he slept, and God brought Eve to Adam. And well, that made sense to me because I had, as a young person, been raised in a culture where you you call a girl up, you invite her to a dance, you take her to a movie, and there was a certain certain things which are acceptable to do or not do, and certain etiquette that prevailed. But you were always beating the bushes, looking around, wondering. And as you were out there in the dating process, always thinking, I wonder if this is the one I'm going to end up being 
Is this going to be the mother of my grandchildren? Right. Is this the person I'm going to go through life with? Is this the kind of person I want to bring home and introduce to my grandmother? <laughs> I, I had a very opinionated grandmother. And I, <laughs> I used to say that, that um, we were Norwegian people. And I, I would say, yeah, with my grandmother, it wouldn't have mattered who I brought home to introduce to, uh, to my grandma, as long as she were, was not a Republican or a Swede. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, uh, uh, but, but I, anyway, I, I, I wondered, I was, I was in a lot of anxiety about who I might end up eventually marrying and what was going to happen with me. One, one point I was going to mention with uh, the field, the mention of the field is uh, back before I was married, I did my own study through the scriptures. I, yeah. you know, it's, when it came to relationships before marriage, yeah. I didn't find a whole lot of good Christian advice on the topic from the scriptures. And so I said, oh. it's, it's got to be in there. So I started digging and it was, it was uh, some parts, you know, I'd look, okay, who's a good, a good example. I go to like Moses, right. And he meets yeah. his wife, uh, he meets his wife. And then like two and a half verses later, they've got kids, right. There's nothing about the, you know, the meeting process really. And, and the, of course, two, so. the two places I found were uh, the book of Ruth and the first yes. few chapters of Song of Solomon. And both, they, both times they meet in a field working, oh. right? Sure. She's in the vineyard and uh, in Song of Solomon and in Ruth, uh, she's uh, in the wheat field. So both times they're, they're, they meet while well, they're both laboring in the same field. Oh, that's nice delightful. little connection there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, it, when the old pioneers came to break the sod out on the prairies of of North America, they would first of all they would often not always but often come in the very early spring of the year, just as the the frost was coming out of the ground, and they would break the the soil. And they might be living in a tent or a temporary shelter of some sort. Quite often they would, they would go to the side of a hill and dig out an area and then build a, what's called a sod hut, which was usually just something they'd live in temporarily for a year or two, because it was pretty miserable living, like living in a cave. But uh, as soon as they could, they would build a house. But they first had to break the sod. Their mm. whole livelihood was based on, on uh, getting the crop in and getting some income coming, the sale of the crop. And, and for us, uh, we have a pattern. The, the scripture talks in the Psalms about he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing. And so it talks about work in the field. Well, the very next Psalm asks the question, 
uh, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And then it talks that next Psalm, it's in the Psalms of degrees, it talks about the life of the family. So you have the field and then the house. And another example of this is in, in uh, Corinthians, where he says, you are God's field, you are God's husbandry, you are God's house. Mm -hmm. And so he uses both those images. The, that Paul went out and he worked the field, he sowed the seed of the gospel, and he saw people converted. And then after they were converted, he brought them into church fellowship. They would be baptized and become participants in the, the, in the house of God. This is, this is God's plan. That Where should we start? We start with the gospel. We go out with the gospel, win souls, we sow the seed, we bring in the harvest, and then we build the house. And, uh, and so th that, was the, that was the way it was put to me. And the old preachers would say, these young men, they need to cut their teeth in the gospel. All the young men wanted to be Bible teachers. Right. That was much more prestigious and much more attractive. But the, but the old timers felt that it was fraught with problems when young men are pretending to be experts in Bible mm. understanding. They should spend their time on fundamental things and mm. get out and preach the gospel which I, I think was, was what really I did and, and what I think is right. It's good mm. to, to learn to be a good Bible teacher. And there's a lot of, of the great Bible teachers of history, like Harry Ironside was this way. Uh, he was a good Bible teacher, but he began as a gospel preacher. And there's a lot of them that are exactly that way. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I wanted to spend a little time, though, on that verse where he says, a man shall leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. There, when God said that in Genesis chapter 2, he was setting a pattern by how he brought Eve to Adam and officiated at the first marriage, because uh, there they were. There's God and Adam and Eve. And, and then he sees the married. God joined them. What therefore God has joined, let not man put asunder. Mm -hmm. who, who officiated at the first marriage? God did. God was the one who solemnized that union. But when it states that in Genesis 1, a man shall leave father and mother. Well, as far as we can tell, everything we have Adam was formed fully as a, an adult. He didn't have a father or mother. He, right. he just came from the hand of God. So when he says a man shall leave father and mother, he's saying just as Adam claved to his wife Eve, so in every succeeding generation, all those who would follow, whether it's Shem or Lamech or Noah or Methuselah or or Abraham or Jake, all down through the generations that will follow, men will leave their father and mother, and then they will cling to or cleave to their wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is much more, we believe, than simply physical union. It is, and implies physical union. 
I, I think there are probably some couples who are because of physical inability or something, some handicap, incapable of having a, a physical you know, uh, union in, in the marriage bed, but they can cleave to one another in so many other ways. And, and so that thought of, 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 of my saying, I am attached to this person. I am going to connect myself to this other person. I am going to, by an act of the will, join myself to this other person. So, and, and hopefully that they will join themselves to me and that we will know one another and that we will be together in all of life. It's been a great lesson for me because this implies a kind of openness and honesty. And, and uh, you know, we're all sinners. Every one of us, we all come into the world as damaged goods. We all have our problems and fears and, and things which are holding us back. But what God wants is for us, by his grace, as we experience his salvation, are delivered from the guilt and shame of sin, to be honest, open people who are capable of having a good and wholesome and right loving relationship. And I've been a very slow learner, and I, I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I, I don't want to go into all my problems. You know, I don't want to discourage anyone here, but only to say that, that it's, it, it's a lifetime of learning. This idea that it's not just the on, on the wedding day when you, you hold her hand, you slip that ring over her finger, you're saying, I'm cleaving to you. But it's something that you do all of, through life. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. And I, I just, as I think about, uh, about for me, that day when I stood beside my wife, Anne, and it dawned on me, this girl loves me. Mm. And she's prepared to commit herself to me. And she wants to be my wife. And just the, the very thought of it, I was so overwhelmed. I, I, I think it's just a tremendous thing. So I just, just thank God for that. And, and I like the point you made uh, where you said a choice of the will. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's on the wedding day, there's all that uh excited emotion right and and yeah. but over time you can't maintain that same level of emotion uh through the rest of your days but no. but as a choice of will what you're saying to each other especially at the vows and and uh i i forget who who called my attention to it was to listen to wedding vows and and to listen to them seriously um and it it kind of sobered me up you know listening to some, a lot of times i think people when they say their vows they try to say the nicest things they could think instead of saying the things that they're actually promising um and and when i wrote my vows to think about what what can i promise and and will you know say this i i when all the emotion is is you know if hardships come if you know poverty you know sickness 
Yeah. You know, all those, the negatives that are listed at the, on the wedding day, if all of those things are to happen, what, what can I still promise? Um, and, uh, you know, and you, the wife staring across from you saying the same thing. Uh, I think, I think that's amazing. Um, yeah. With, with you and this, this, commitment, the, the, this idea of the wedding commitment. Have there been any unexpected fruits, right? This is this idea of growing and shining. Um, and when we apply the word, this idea of following God's pattern of marriage, what's, what's some fruit maybe that you've been able to see that you didn't expect to see as a result? Mm -hmm most remarkable thing to me was uh, we've always had an open house and been welcoming to people and had a lot of people come live with us, stay with us, but to see the fruit of it. And sometimes uh, uh, we would have folks come and stay and, and, and I would, after it was all said and done, we've had people stay sometimes for long periods of time. And they would maybe rent a room from us or, but they would be with us at our meal tables and, you know, we'd drive around together and run errands together and they'd be kind of like part of the household. But in it, I, I would sometimes begrudge uh, uh, the sacrifices or the, the expense or the trouble of it all. And I was thinking, yeah, I don't think these people really realize all the hassle this is, and, uh, and 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 sometimes we'd have people who who were privileged in a way, or their relatives were privileged uh, money-wise financially, and and we would be going to expense to help their children, and the children would need counseling need advice, need a lot of pastoral care. And I well knew that some of these people that, that we were helping, their parents would, would lay down $40,000 to send them to some counseling center down in Arizona if they thought they needed it. And sometimes these kids did need it. They were troubled people. We had a lot of very troubled people. So I would I, I would have people, they'd come, they would stay with us, uh, and uh, it wasn't always easy. We, had a lot, we have a lot of war stories, and oftentimes we would be burned. We would get burned with our hospitality, but it was part of our family. It was just the way Ann and I, we were both agreed about it. We were happy to show hospitality and work with people. We wanted to work with people, but I'm just saying it was... It, it, it seemed like it wasn't being much appreciated, but over the years, what we found, and, and more so in recent years than ever before, we've seen how that these, whatever, whatever, and sometimes we didn't look at it as a sacrifice at the time, but whatever kind of uh, expense or trouble or agonies that we went through, the blessings have all come back to us. I mean, really, it's it's been so true, and that's been a delightful thing, because um, 
<laughs> some people we've had in our home, they were scary. They were, uh, I, I have often thought, man, I was a fool to ever let my house open to that person because uh, they were spooky ones. But our children were protected. Uh, nothing bad happened that I know of that I never was able to detect. And, and uh, we, we were able to have a ministry and work with these people in spite of it all. Sometimes people got saved, not always. We, we had some very sad cases of people we worked with, but other times we've seen people get saved. And in it all, God has richly rewarded and encouraged us in it. Now, a lot of times you don't get, you don't see the reward till you get to glory, but we've had the joy of, of seeing some, some returns on our investment right while we're down here, and you know, while we're still down here. Enough to believe that it's real. Enough encouragement to say, you know what, this is worth it. Mm. Yeah. And how, in, how important, if, if let's say there's some newly married uh, young people out there, how important would you say it is? Because we talked about this idea of cleaving, right? And, and yeah. what you just shared with us is a, a joint ministry you had with your wife. How important yeah. do you think that is for a Christian marriage for the, the man and woman to share in a ministry together, to, to be working together? Yeah. Well, my wife and I, we knew one another for six years before we got married. We were both converted very close at the same time, went to a lot of the same Bible studies. We were baptized on the same day, went to the same church fellowships, uh, had a lot of friends, similar friends. And so in our relationships, we were able um, to, uh, uh, in those six years, talk about our convictions, talk about things which we thought were important. And, and by so doing, it was possible for us to, to, uh, to really come to see eye to eye about a lot of things. I, I think there are a lot of couples that don't talk about things until it happens. And, and uh, that wasn't so much the case with us. But if you, but once you get into a marriage, it is really important for us to pray together about things. But I know I'm a really headstrong guy, but my wife is quite proactive and she'll just move ahead with something. She thinks it's the right thing to do. She's, she's not a coward. And, and uh, it's important for people like that, that they pray together and that and they, they not act independently of one another, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. we, have to, we have to see that that is a great blessing. I see a lot of couples where the two are acting independently not cleaving to one another, not coming to say, do I really understand where the other person is coming from? Am I on the same page with that other person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so that, great. That is, am I communicating here? Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Great advice. Yeah, like there's a case of, um, uh, well, William Carey, he just determined he wanted to go overseas, but his wife was not so minded and she was kind, quite unhappy. Now, I wasn't there. I never met the woman. I don't, you know, uh, uh, maybe these reports about William Carey's marriage are inaccurate and wrong, but all the same, 
it was a difficult, the, from what I can understand, it was a difficult marriage. Mm. And, and it might be that she was just, uh, uh, maybe had suffered a nervous breakdown or what we'd call a nervous breakdown. And, and uh, she wasn't herself, it does not appear totally on board with the missionary agenda. Mm -hmm. Anthony Norris Groves, on the other hand, when he first talked about going overseas, his wife was very much against it. And whenever he talked about foreign missions, she'd break into tears. Mm. But over time, as she prayed and thought about it, she became more zealous of the idea of going out as a missionary than he was. <laughs> and a good thing, because mm. there were great sacrifices involved. And after they had gone out, the plague swept through Baghdad where they were working, laboring in the gospel. And she was taken with her infant daughter. Wow. So uh, a great price to pay. So you, you would want definitely before you launch into anything. And like I say, uh, we, we've been burned. We've worked with people and it doesn't always work so well. And you bring people in, work with them, counsel them. Sometimes you're counseling people and you, you give them what you think is the best advice possible. And, and later on, if anything goes wrong, they blame you. Or you help people and they come back and blame you. Mm. <laughs> so we've had that. So you, you uh, and, and anyone who reaches out and helps people, you're going to experience that. You're going to experience being kicked in the shins after you're trying to help somebody in a little way. And if you determine, I'm not going to get burned, I'm not going to be taken advantage of, I'm not going to be cheated, I'm not going to let that happen to me or my family. Well, then basically you're saying, and I'm just not going to serve. Right. If you're going to serve other people, you're opening yourself up to all of those things. Yeah, it's what's the little adage, um, a servant of God to men, right? We're, we're serving men, but we're servants of God. We're not doing this for them. Otherwise, we'd, we'd give up. We'd quit. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we're servants of God, but to men, yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us on Enjoy the Book of Life with our Grow and Shine. And uh, we pray that there's a little something in here for each of you, those of you who are uh, maybe single and, and praying about a spouse, and those of you who are newly married, those of you who have been married for some time. A lot of good advice here, as uh, we've learned from Brother John Burley how this truth uh, in his life has uh, allowed him to grow and shine uh, for others to see.